It's just been fundamentally powerful. We keep revisiting it, and it's a book that I've recommended many, many people. And as we said on the the first podcast, is if you've got that book that you keep passing on to people, and then keep visiting back and relating back to that concept, then it's a powerful one. To build the whole product at once. Again, if I use this example as a car, you know that you wanted to have four wheels, five seats. You need the car to move. And what you would do is you would build what they refer to as the MVP, which is the minimum viable product. What most people, myself included, want to do is you want to build the whole car. I've read this cover to cover more times than I can even tell you. And I've also now got it on Audible, um, which gives it a whole new dimension. Lots of entrepreneurs get so fixated on what they had, the vision, the idea they had on the back of the napkin, that they will not let it go and go, listen, I know that's what you thought your customer wanted, but your customer's told you with their feet, with their spend, with the amount of times they've used it, watched it, whatever that may be relevant to you. Listen to the bloody customer. Who wants to be an entrepreneur? This isn't a quiz show. This is reality. A real-life discovery of what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. Welcome to a new season of podcast episodes of personal and business coaching topics and techniques around the three pillars of HEW, health, excellence, and wealth. HEW is introducing guests to the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur show based on their own personal experiences. A full real-life account of trials and tribulations of what it takes. Hello and welcome to the HEW podcast. My name is Lauren Brady and I'm joined today by Helen Williams. Hello, Helen. Hello, how are you? Great. So today is the second edition of our book review podcast. We got massively carried away on the first one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good thing to get carried away from from the bookie people like like us and um, we we just really enjoyed having the conversation about our history our kind of journey through what we've been reading how it's influenced us and we nailed it down into our top five six books each that have really made an impact that when we get asked all the time any recommendations or what made a big difference to your thinking or to your you know to the way that you live, what are they? So if you haven't listened to episode one, uh, do scroll back and have a go at that one. And if you have, thanks for coming back and we'll take it up straight away. So Helen, we'll go straight to you. But before, what would be on your list? It is this bad boy, which is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. This has been read and thumbed through many, many times. And again, It's quite a simple concept and it's often the simple things that are the most impactful and this is this is no different always the way always the way so on tell us about Jeff who is he what does he talk about basically um the the concept is about doing all the simple things and all the small things consistently so that they compound over time to bring you the results Mm -hmm. And it's all of the things that we discuss in like our um, daily routines and creating our daily habits. It's all of the things that you can quite easily do and quite easily not do. And before you know it, once you're doing it and you're doing a little bit at a time, you can see the progress. Once you decide not to do it and that kind of compounds over time and time's gone by where it's like, yeah, I've not been drinking my water. I've not been um, uh, keeping up to my social media um, expectations. I've not been um, doing my workouts how I should do. 
And all of that, that progress goes backwards. And we start feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves. And it's basically that concept in a nutshell. The slight edge, small and often, of doing the right things that in time get you that momentum and that positive trajectory. It's so mad that this is, I didn't know this was a book that you had that you were talking about, but literally like three days ago, I was rereading a book which hasn't made it onto this list, but I was trying to sneak in. It's the James <laughs> the James Clear Atomic Habits book. And right. this is a, um, it's a message that I think is, is packaged up and, and spoke about in lots of different ways. But he gave this great example of a plane setting off from a city in the US and diverting course by 1%. And you'd be thinking, well, that's not going to make much difference. But over the trajectory of the entire course, it means leaving New York, you no longer end up in LA, you end up in Las Vegas. And just by changing that 1%, how it changes the outcome at the end. So yeah, I think it's something that can be explained in lots of different ways. And I'm sure there's brilliant books and authors who've explained it better than, you know, we can give it justice in a couple of minutes. But for you, Helen, that book, who was it recommended to you? Where did you pick it up? At what point in your life did you read it? It was recommended, actually. It was recommended, um, I'm probably going back about four and a half years ago now, um, through the time um, when myself and Stuart was um, getting educated in property and starting out um, with all of our sort of um, new dimensions of, of business and, 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 and life structure, really. It's just, been, it's just been fundamentally powerful. We keep revisiting it, and it's a book that I've recommended many, many people. And as we said on the, the first podcast is, if you've got that book, that you keep passing on to people yeah. and then keep, keep visiting back and relating back to that concept then it's a powerful one and, it, and it's, 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 it's easy enough to read but it's so powerful but the thing is is this is really really beneficial for um, our listeners because our listeners predominantly are looking for change they're wanting to change something up and improve something and gain some results and a question that we always um, revert back to and put onto put onto the um, individual that sits with us or the business owners is how long are you prepared to work for to get to the result that you're wanting? And the thing is, people always give up too soon because they can't see the results that come to them like that. Always or often. Well, well, yeah, we'll put it on that one. People often give up too soon. The people who are looking a bit longer term and who are maybe have lifted some fog I think they they can appreciate it more like sometimes if you're brand new to being an entrepreneur or setting up a business or you know you've got a new product out and if it's a you know if you're a rookie if you're a first timer you know that I think they're the people who can get wafted by one wave and they just retreat back up the beach and that's it they're not getting their toes wet again but I think when like for someone like yourself, who's, you know, been an entrepreneur for many years now, you've had lots of different businesses and projects that you've been successful at, you get that whole I'm change course on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you've you've got the you've got that concept now completely ingrained in you that it's not about just doing it for a little bit. You've got to keep going and you've got to keep going. So yeah, sounds like a another good one. Not I've not read it myself. It it is a good one. I just wanna I just wanna read a quick, quick extract to you from it. I mean, there's loads of examples from it, but just this quick one. It's basically, so it's it's saying about, you know, what is what is the slight edge? And it says about the winning edge. The slight edge is the process that every winner has used to succeed since the dawn of time. Winning is always a matter of the slight edge. And quite often than not, 
It's all of the little things. It's not one thing that you can put your finger on. It's the little things done well and done consistently, even when you can't see the result at that time, but then adds up and, as, as I've said, compounds. And then it's talking about um, uh, Michael Phelps in the Beijing Games back in 2008. It's talking about the the Masters in 2004 with um, Phil Mickelson. Um, and it says here, what is the difference? It's basically the difference here for the Masters win was one and a half strokes per day better. So, so if you think of that little bit more that you can do, that's what's going to achieve the, the tournament win or whatever win your goal is. So the slight edge, and it's not just in sports, it's in everything. No matter in what arena, in life or work or play, the difference between winning and losing, the gap that separates success and failure is so slight so subtle that most never see it. And that's it. And, you know, I could go off on different tangents here because the things that popped out to me there is, you know, winning and losing. What's a win to you and what's a loss to you is completely down to you as an individual. Again, success and failure. You know, if you put that down to, let's take it out of the business context because you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking in day-to-day life, let's say you're you're – goal your vision is to have a great relationship with you know your child or your partner or a family member winning in that respect is you know having someone who's close to you who trusts you who'll communicate with you who comes to you when they need you who celebrates all of their times of success with you and you think of all the little things that give you that slight edge you know do you spend enough quality time with them do you reciprocate you know the listening as well as the speaking and you just think what success is or what winning is, sometimes people can hear those words and get triggered and be like, you know, is winning a case of, you know, the score at the end of a game or is success necessarily attributed to finance or assets or, you know, all these things that, you know, you may assume. So I think, yeah, interesting when people can put that same concept into other areas of their life. And that's it. It's everything. And, And again, and we visit it over and over and it's what we press home is everything is personalised. Everything is down to the individual. You know, not everybody's going to be going to an Olympic Games or going to a Masters tournament, and it's not as clear-cut as a win and a lose in that respect. But if you just if, if you take that out of context and it's just a case of, okay, what is your goal and what will help you win and achieve your goal? Because we're all about winning. We're all about winning and achieving and succeeding and growing and progressing towards that goal. The slight edge, therefore, is the concept that gets you there. The, the other alternative is that you choose a slight edge to actually take you on the, on the, on the downward spiral. Mm. Okay, perfectly linked there. My next book is one, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. So it's called The Lean Startup and it's by Eric Rees. I'm laughing at you with your notes sticking out your book because you can tell mine as well. This is one, notes in it, pages earmarked, loads of notes in the book as you go through. So this book was, um, this is quite a funny one in terms of when it came into my lap and how I started reading it is because I worked previously in project management in the technology environment, the digital world. So my background prior to that was very much nothing to do 
with digital. So I had never worked in, you know, work, worked with developers, worked with designers or anything like that. So um, as with all the things that I'd done to this point in my career, I kind of said yes and took an opportunity before I fully understood what to do. So I'd spent lots of time in this way out of my comfort zone, basically. And I'd, been, I'd, I'd be sat in these meetings as we were building pieces of technology, uh, websites, apps. And these were built to help a sales and recruitment team perform better at the roles that they were in. So the whole industry itself was moving very quickly. And this book, The Lean Startup, is something that gets talked about a huge amount if you're in any kind of development if you're doing anything with technology um, it's kind of it's kind of a bible and everyone knows about it uh, the words that um stick out to me that for anybody who has heard these words banded about and wondered where it came from is this book it's all about uh, having a clear vision so having your vision defined so that you know what it is that you're working towards it's the big learnings i got from it is make sure that you're comfortable and prepared and ready to fail and fail fast so this is very important when you're building pieces of technology but it's important in any business setup so for example if you're building an app you might have this vision that you want this app to do 10 things and when you start building it with a you know software developer designer testing teams everything that goes into it to build the whole product at once again if i use this example as a car you know that you want it to have four wheels, you know, you want it to have five seats, you need the car to move. And what you would do is you would build what they refer to as the MVP, which is the minimum viable product. What most people, myself included, want to do, um, or previously wanted to do before understanding what the message of this book was, is you want to build the whole car. You want to build the engine, you want to build the seats, you want to build the body, you want to build the, build, you know, the uh, music system, you want to build the headrest, you want to build everything. And then you launch it out there to your potential customers and then ask them for feedback. What this book really drove home for me and advocates massively is don't try and build the whole car and then sell it to a consumer or to your customer. And don't assume but that what you're building is exactly what the customer wants. So build the MVP, the minimum viable product. So in this example of the car, build the seats, ask the customer to test the seats. Is this the kind of seat you want? Yes, brilliant, that's staying in. Build the bonnet, build the <laughs> framework of the car. You can tell I am not a mechanic. <laughs> um, build the outer body bit and then ask the customer, do you want this bit to be rounded? Do you want the lights to be here? Do you want this to look this way? Great. Okay. You don't want any of that? Brilliant. We won't spend another six months or hundreds of thousands of pounds in development building that. So the idea is when your vision is clear, you're prepared to fail fast, but you're not going to build out the whole product. It basically means don't try and get everything perfect before you put it out there in front of your customer. Big message, listen to your customer. Again, a lot of people in business, in gosh, in life, in any walk of life, they fear criticism and they fear feedback because they take it as, you know, an insult. They take it as it means that they're someone else is right and they're wrong, that, you know, they, they can't absorb the feedback as feedback to then change. And another word that gets used a lot from this book is to pivot. So think about getting the, you know, you've built the minimum viable product. You've then put it out there with your customer. The customer's given it feedback. And then the customer feedback, you actually have to listen to and take on board. So let's stay with that example of the car. They say, you know what? 
those seats aren't that comfy. This is a car that I want to be able to do long distance driving in. This is a car that, you know, if it may be a family car, I need to fit in a child seat. I need to fit in a bumper seat, whatever those other requirements are. So I need the seats to actually have less of an armrest and more of a cushion in there. But then if you don't listen to the customer and then make amendments, what was the point in asking for feedback? And then understanding that when you are building anything, so in particular in technology, you know, with the amount of costs that's involved and um, the amount of people that are feeding into uh, those kind of projects, is you've got to really set out a runway for yourself. Okay, so it's interesting that the book you just said then is how long are you prepared to stay working towards this goal? What this means in, in, in the realm of technology is what's your runway? How much money have you got? How many months have you got? to build a minimum viable product, to test it, and to keep going from there. So if you know that to develop this product, let's say it's £100,000, you know I've got enough funding for my runway to be three months. Okay, so that means your MVP has to be out in four weeks, one month. You need to be getting client feedback or customer feedback within the next 10 days, two weeks. Then you need to adjust and adjust. So if you know your runway is three months, you don't mess around with the MVP for two months and two weeks and then wonder why you're out of a runway at the end so this yeah. book for me was it was it was just such a a game changer in the mindset of the technology world but then it also you can adapt it to absolutely any business even if you're not building pieces of technology uh, the reason I say it was a funny one is because the person who uh, the investor the person who owned the company that I was working with for the technology piece um, he read this book I believe on a holiday with his wife and his family and he was like the light bulbs were just going off all over the place and again for many entrepreneurs you can see backwards and go oh you know that other thing that I launched last year or 10 years ago or whatever I you know I built the whole product out before I launched it why did I spend six months trying to make it perfect rather than letting the customer see it and give them feedback that they wanted. So when he came back from his holiday, <laughs> he bought like maybe 10 or 20 copies of this book and he sent it to all of us on the management team. And he's like, you've got four days, read the book from cover to cover and we have a test in the boardroom. Like it was the funniest thing because it was not something we did as a company. Like we didn't have a book club or anything, but we all read the book, made notes and we had a test on it. And the reason the test wasn't about, you know, pass or fail, even though we were a competitive bunch. So it was about passing and failing for us. But it was about, listen, if you've got a team around you as a business owner and you want them to be all on board with the methodology, you know, again, the guy who was the investor who ran the company was like, this is the way we're going to build this company and build this piece of technology. I need you all to get on board with it and read it. And that's why I'm laughing about it being a bit of a Bible because Again, we all had it in our laptop cases for months. And every now and again, you, you know, you'd find us all on trains or planes reading into this book. But I think for anyone who is starting off in their entrepreneurial life and you're kind of afraid to get anything out there because you want it to be perfect before you've, you, know, you, know, you let anyone see it, this is a must read. It's super interesting in terms of overall methodology. Um, it's up to date, as I say, with technology and the way that the digital world's moving forward. So yeah, Eric Reese. I hope I'm saying his name right. That's how I've always pronounced it. How I've I've not read that one, Lauren. Um, and it, it sounds another good one. I, I find it fascinating, and this wasn't planned either, by the way, um, from from either of us. But both of what we brought to the table in terms of our top five six books are very different. Oh yeah, and we've not necessarily read each other's reads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So we've got lots more to get squatting up on. But what I was just going to say quickly about your lean startup book is how do you then, how have you implemented that outside of that career role? Okay, so how have I taken those concepts and changed? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. let, let me start with the runway. So I took a complete change in my career, you know, at the start of this year. So what I had to realize is I'd gone from a certain level of income and a certain level of lifestyle that came with that income. So I had to plan to go back to being starting from basis as an entrepreneur. I had to give myself a runway. So I know very clearly what my runway is in a, in terms of being able to yeah, fund my next step as an entrepreneur. So that's one yeah. thing. Uh, in terms of the MVP, I think that's just one that it's so important to get in your head in that what's the minimum thing your customer or client needs to make the product work? The one that sticks out as a story on this is Twitter. So obviously we all know Twitter, we all know the success of it, love or hate it, you know, it's you know, it's huge, massive success globally. The part of Twitter that was the tweet was just one part of a massive application that was being built. And when they tested the whole application, users came back and said, We like that bit where we can write a little bit and post it out. And an entire social network was built because they built the MVP and people said, We just like that part. Of the, of the app and the product, boom, that was the actual product. That wasn't the actual vision that the, the makers had for it at the beginning. And I, th- I, think, I think stories like that are absolutely crucial for entrepreneurs to hear and keep hearing. Yeah. Because it's quite often, um, you know, it's drilled into you of you should always have the end in mind. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to swear, but how the fuck do you, do you know what it's going to look like? Yeah. And being entrepreneurial and the fact that you've got like all of these ideas happening and you've got you've got a big vision and you're trying to obviously, you know, piece it into things that are manageable yeah, and the yeah, fact yeah. that you're working with other people and you're getting input and it's all based on supply and demand and, and market demand, like you're saying, about getting your feedback. You can't actually then define exactly what your end game looks like. You need to know what the vision is. So this book, just to make clear, they're like, like, no way you're going. But don't, again, lots of entrepreneurs get so fixated on what they had, the vision, the idea they had on the back of a napkin, that they will not let it go and go, listen, I know that's what you thought your customer wanted, but your customers told you with their feet, with their spend, with the amount of times they've used it, watched it, whatever that may be relevant to you. Listen to the bloody customer and pivot and adjust and give the customer what they want. So, again, look, come on, quite old school is the customer's always right. Now, (laughs) anyone who's worked customer service, the customer isn't always right, right? But what what they want is what you need to give them. So, yeah, yeah, I've used it across loads of things. I mean, this is going into a different concept here, but from an entrepreneurial position, if they're not willing to adapt and change for that based on feedback, then ego is coming in in the way instead of the actual benefits and and structure of an entrepreneurial mind ego takes over perfect all right okay. next on your list next on my list is this little beauty for those that can see me i'm just holding up can you see it yeah i hope i thought that's what you mean when you were talking about ego well that wasn't planned but it's after the back of what you've just said as well yeah which is why we work perfectly together Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. And this has been so impactful on my life over the last 
nearly eight years now. This is one of the old scores, and you can see by it, it's even more well-thumbed. Yeah. I've read this cover to cover more times than I can even tell you. And I've also now got it on Audible, um, which gives it a whole new dimension. But this was recommended to me on a flight back from New York. One of the previous podcast guests, Callum, I can't remember which episode it is that uh, I had Callum on, but Callum Vickers sat next to me, or I sat next to him on a flight back from New York. Cut a very long story short, we spoke through the night of the whole flight and this is what he recommended from where I was at, which wasn't actually in the best of places, which is why he asked me to read this book. I was coming back from New York for my 30th birthday. It was quite a pivotal time in my life, a change, um, and this was very, very instrumental in that. I ordered it immediately, and I couldn't get into it, but I persevered because I'm like... Well, he I told that book, and it sat on the shelf behind me here. And I started it and couldn't get into it. So I'm, I'm laughing to myself here because I'm glad you've said when you start it and it wasn't the right time. So I've lent this book to friends um, who I've said, please, please, please read it and persevere. And they've given it me back yeah. and said, I can't get into it. If you persevere with it, it will absolutely transform your thinking. Yeah. And again, it's a very, very simple context, uh, concept Sorry, of the power of now, mm-hmm. meaning... You have only the now in terms of time. Yeah. Don't live in the past and don't live in the future. You have to be present within the now, okay? That is the, the, the basic synopsis of it and not really giving it that much you know, that much justice or endearment to it where you think, okay, well, that sounds quite simple. The reason why it's quite difficult is because it's very, very spiritual and actually leans on being quite religious through connotations in, in a lot of and it as well. you're not religious as a person, right? No. Not in the slightest. Okay. <laughs> no, and this is what I really struggled with in terms of adapting my thought processes to consuming this. And I'm like, it's not really resonating with me. And I kind of resisted to it. And the funny thing is throughout the book, it has somebody else questioning the concept yeah. at different times. So what you're thinking it's actually already being asked and answered throughout the book. Um, but, yeah, it's all about your awareness of your consciousness and, and transforming your conscious mind and how that all works. And it's how then your, the mind is basically like the ego taking over, which is why I said it, it leads very nicely into that. But if you can persevere with it and read it again and read it again and read it again, because that's what you'll need to commit to. It's not just a a quick one that you'll read on a beach and go, oh, yeah, that's changed my life. Like, literally, you need to read it and then think, I've got no idea what that was telling me. And that's so then the thing I think with a lot of books is some people, when they open a book and it doesn't resonate with them, or, you know, like I've had it, like, with this book, is I remember thinking it hurt my brain reading it and sometimes it just isn't the right time yeah. within, you know, maybe I've got other stuff in my head or maybe I've got – you know, for example, if I'm reading at night, there's certain books for me that I can't read as I'm going to sleep because I need to think on it a bit more. Or I like to read it, you know, if I'm sat upright as opposed to, you know, lay down in bed, that kind of thing. So I know the I know the author well. I read another one of his books just recently, actually, um, which someone said to me, read that before you read The Power of Now. So I do have it lined up to go through into as well. So which one was that? And you were? Yeah. 
And you've read that before? Yeah, I read the new one. Oh, I would always say, I would say the other way around. And that funny, someone said to me, if you can't read The Power Now, read a new one. It might, I'm saying like it, like it was said to me, it might have been Oprah. I think I heard it on Oprah's podcast. <laughs> like, it, like she, you know, Oprah Winfrey is on the front of yeah, this yeah, yeah. with a quote on it. But yeah, I would always say this first and then in New Earth, because the New Earth goes into even more depth of the concept. But yeah, it's it, it's incredible in terms of the in terms of the the learnings from it, yeah. the transformation from it. I'm not saying, by the way, this is a very very bespoke and powerful uh, belief system. Basically, it really is. It's a belief system, and I've even been to see Eckhart Tolle in person at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Mm. Like I am literally a massive massive fan of all of this now. However, let me just point out. I don't actually resonate with everything. I don't take everything as as what he is saying as the as the complete Ten Commandments, and that might be a reflection on my level of enlightenment, for example. Yeah, yeah. I don't know on my level of um, how far far have I then immersed myself within the transformation. I don't know, but what I'm saying to you is, it's like with any of these books, you know, take from it what you need to take from it. But then if you keep revisiting, you, you keep layering up that knowledge and that understanding and that self-awareness. And it, this is a beautiful one. And honestly, even if you just take the basic principles from it of not living in the past and, and letting go of all that guilt and that upset and that regret and that frustration and not looking too far into the future, which is a, it's a you know, that's a pivotal point for, for most people, but predominantly entrepreneurs as well, because we're always fixated on better times, you know, more fruitful times, happier times, more successful times. Well, no, actually, everything that you're working for is based on where you are right now. And the sooner you can get and accept that where you are right now is the only place that you'll ever only be at any one time, what comes after it? will just be what's meant to come after it. Mm. Oh, you've lined these up really well for me now because I've, I'm going to sneak in an extra book here. But Ooh. book number five is, this is a pretty important one for me, actually. It's The book title is Rising Strong, and it's by an author called Brene Brown. So popping over from your kind of spiritual being in the now conversation, Brene Brown is someone who I recommend to like literally everybody. I think she's awesome. She is an author and a um, a qualitative researcher. I'm probably not going to do it full justice to her and her credentials or titles. So I definitely just go Bob Brene Brown into Google. But the book Rising Strong was an important book for me because a few years ago, I had been in a bit of a, a lull. I couldn't finish a book. And I probably wasn't aware at the time what the blockage was, as in like I wasn't consciously thinking, you're not focused, you're not concentrating, you're not reading stuff that's resonating with you, which is why you can't finish it. Um, but what had happened actually, um, it was it's a pretty personal one, but I don't mind sharing it because it's all come out the other side, is that my parents uh, separated a few years ago and they separated when we were adults. So I was 30 years of age. My parents had been married since they were in their early 20s. Uh, so I think like nearly 40 years. And we grew up in a really happy, loving family. You know, we were certainly not, you know, the Brady Bunch. Quite funny, my married name is now Brady. But, you know, like ups and downs, like every family. But they came to a point in their lives where they made a, a brave decision to go their separate ways and live the later years of their lives separately. So what happened for me is 
I, I kind of got into a fog just dealing with all the changes and the emotions and what that meant for us as a family, what that meant for me as an individual. But what it resulted in is that my focus went to shit as in I couldn't finish. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't finish, you know, the TV guide magazine. My head would flip off somewhere else. And to be honest, it was the first time something like that had happened to me as an adult. And it's interesting now because, I, you know, I do what I do. I researched it. I got some feedback. I, you know, I spoke to some people about, you know, how's the best way to process this stuff. Um, is it happens quite a lot, like where people go through adult divorce, but you're still the child and they're still the parents and it's still a bit shit. Like, let's not dress it up. So the reason I'm oversharing a little bit on that is because Brené Brown was the book I picked up the Christmas we ran away to Mexico. So <laughs> if anyone's coming from a family where their parents aren't together, Christmas can sometimes be a nightmare. So this was like 18 months after our family dynamic. It doesn't get any easier, by the way. <laughs> it's got a bit easier, but not like pain-free. No, 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 seriously, mine doesn't. Oh, so, <laughs> so 18 months after this family change, me and Chris had like, we'd looked at our calendars for Christmas and we just went, yeah, let's go book a holiday. Let's not put ourselves in this shit show. Let's, you know, kind of get away. So we went to Mexico and this was the book I ordered. I think it was an Amazon order, as usually is for me. And I took it with me. And it was the first book that I finished in like a year that I got through the fog with. And the reason being is because obviously it was the right book at the right time, but I cannot tell you how much this message resonated with me. So title kind of gives it away, Rising Strong. Her subject matter as a whole is all about vulnerability and it's all about leaning into discomfort rather than trying to run away from the things that we're uncomfortable with or run away from the things that we don't want to process or that we don't want to do. You know, everybody has stuff daily, weekly, annually that they don't want to do and her teaching is that being vulnerable yourself being vulnerable as a leader as a business owner as a human as a parent as a child whatever relationship or title you put on yourself you've got to be comfortable with that vulnerability and lean into the discomfort she tells the story amazingly well about her own experience her teaching uh, the way that she works with their uh, big companies and corporations and one of the things that stuck out to me is she described humans as feeling machines who think and often we, what we try and do is like I say we lean away from discomfort we don't want to be vulnerable in front of people and we just want to think, think, think and live in the mind, which is interesting when you were talking about the power now, which is get out of the past. Don't go so far into the future that you kill yourself and your head's blowing off. Be where you are right now. We are feeling machines who think. Um, she talks a lot about not listening to the critic, not just the critic within your own head, but listening to the critics outside of you. Um, and this is something that, you know, I've really kept in my mind a lot, especially as I've made changes over the last few months, is that there's lots of people who can be sat in the crowd or can be sat on the sideline who have an opinion on everything, but they're not on the field. They're not in there in the arena with you. They're not in there getting dirty, rolling their sleeves up. You know, they're not in there with you shoulder by shoulder but they're okay to sit on the sidelines and criticize you so she talks about not giving them too much of an in or an entry into your mindset and not being the biggest critic in your own mind as well and she talks a lot about going through the process of you know rising strong understanding that the stories that you tell yourself are so important like she says this thing a lot um, when she's talking about an interaction she had for example with her husband where they were swimming in a lake and um, she thought they were going to, you know, be really vulnerable. And she was like telling him how much she enjoyed this swim and how connected she was feeling to him. And he basically 
didn't connect in the way that she wanted to and they swam back to the to the shore and she told this story I won't kill the punchline because it's really a good one to watch uh, or to, to read should I say and she talks about how the story she was telling herself was he looked up in the water and didn't think that, you know, she looked great in a swimming costume or that he was that interested in hearing what she had to say. And she says, the story I'm telling myself about this situation is this. And it's a really important one because when you're in a situation where you're being vulnerable or where you're trying to communicate something, you're always telling yourself a story about it. What we have to remember is the other person is also telling themselves a story as well and telling themselves a story about what it is that's happening or what it is they're doing at that time so we it's, it's all about understanding that you know you've got to lean into the discomfort you've got to lean into that vulnerability and go from there so yeah big fan of Brené Brown big fan of Rising Strong I've watched and consumed content of Brené Brown's but not a book in its entirety um, but that's not, that sounds really good, and obviously in, in in similarity there for the the power of now is is obviously about the thoughts. She's saying that we live we like live within our thoughts and what have you. Uh-huh. The power of now, in contrast to that, is saying observe your thoughts, but don't let them run you. Yeah, it, it, yeah, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Right, I've got a little bit of a curveball one now. But it's, it's very, very interesting, very, very fascinating, and one that everybody can benefit from once again. But it's not a business book, and it's not a spirituality book. It's not a, a, a learn of a learning of success tips one to one to seven or anything like that. It is the Clever Guts Diet by Dr. Michael Mosley. Have you read it? No, but heard of it. Oh my goodness, you spoke about the Bible for, for yourself, for the Lean Startup. Yeah. This was my Bible. This was recommended to me um, from my nutritionist down in London and it, it massively, massively became my Bible. And by the way, I still revert back to it in terms of the um, recipes in the back. I can't recommend enough the chocolate, or, uh, the aubergine chocolate brownie. Oh my God, it's amazing. All right, I'll believe you. <laughs> um, aubergine is one of my least favourite vegetables. I never really buy it. Um, and I never really choose it off a menu. If it's there, I'll eat it. Yeah. But in chocolate brownies, it's a winner. Um, but yeah, I started, just for a little bit of uh, history as well, I've got endometriosis. I've had endometriosis all of my life. For a, for a long time, I was in and out of hospital. I've, I've been operated on many times. I, w- I went undiagnosed for a number of years, rocking up to 14 years, believe yeah. it or not, which through the recent awareness, not going off on a tangent, but through the recent awareness that that um, lead time now has been reduced dramatically. But that's what it was. You know, I've been put on, on several different medications for, for different things. I even had my appendix took out on one occasion, which probably never even needed to come out. Oh but God, it was that's mental. So they took out your appendix, even though it was something else. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... <laughs> You know, it's it's a thing that you don't really need, but um, you know, I've survived anyway. But it's a case of I went in with 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 very similar symptoms, but they couldn't put the finger on it. Lo and behold, I went to see a specialist down in Chelsea, and yeah, it it, it got thing it, it it got diagnosed. But the clever guts diet comes into it is because I've done a lot of researching around lifting your energy and looking after yourself and I just didn't feel well and endometriosis doesn't allow you to feel well it does everything it wants to do 
to rip your energy out of you and rip any life out of you that it can do. So therefore, once you get to understand it a little bit, which is, it's all based around your hormones and things like that. And once you get to understand it a little bit and understand the power of diet, which I have always had a good diet. And that's what I questioned because obviously the doctors and what have you recommend you to be eating well and looking after yourself. And I'm like, Jesus, it's not as though I'm like not doing anything. Yeah, it's not as if I'm, I'm living, living on McDonald's no. and Subways. You weren't that person. Yeah. So I was like, right, okay, there's something more to this. And it was just purely through my persistence of I'm not quite getting to the bottom of putting two and two together and coming out with what I need right now. So I paid for a nutritionist. What year was this, Helen? Like, are we talking in the last couple of years, five years ago, how long ago? This was about four years ago. So it's interesting because even like now what we're looking at, April 2020, there's so much more content available and so much great knowledge now in terms of how your diet affects everything. You know, people talk about, you know, uh, more plant-based diets, you know, taking out certain parts. So for some people it might be dairy, for some it might be gluten. And I know that that can get a bit faddy and it can get ripped apart by, you know, the people who want to, you know, just try and financially benefit from telling everyone to take dairy out of their diet but even four years ago this was something that I don't think everyone was as aware of as I certainly but here's the thing I did all of that I, I cut things out of my diet I've always ate well going back historically no like anybody who's been around me spent time with me worked with me know knows that I've always worked out I've always looked after myself and I've, I've always fed my body with, with good, nutritious food. My mother used to take the piss out of me, saying I'm the only person in the university that shops at Sainsbury's and buys fresh salmon. She said, because everybody else is eating super noodles and you want salmon and vegetables and that kind of thing. You know, it's, it, yeah. I've always been that kind of person. Don't get me wrong, I like, a, I like to eat shit as well and I, I, I do all of that and what have you. But what it came down to with this, Lauren, is the fact of your diet's irrelevant if your gut's not right. And that's what the that's what the cusp of everything was with me and what I found upon with the nutritionist. I had all the tests and then I ended up having to go onto a, a strict diet, a strict diet and a strict detox and literally strip out my gut. Because over the over the time where I've told you I was in and out of hospital, I'd been operated on, I'd been given medication, all of that when they didn't know what was a matter with me. Was feeding. I was constantly feeding my t- uh, body with tablets mm. and antibiotics. Yeah, ruined my gut. It ruined the microbiomes in it. It ruined the flora in it. It ruined all of the balance of what you should have between your good bacteria and your bad bacteria. And it made all of my diet and my lifestyle irrelevant because the gut won every time. So even though I was putting good food into it, the bad bacteria beasted it it won that war and my body wasn't getting what it needed to get so then put that on top of me having endometriosis I was fucking shot yeah I was shot and I was still keeping going and keeping going and keeping going and it's a really bad fuel into a car and it not getting through and sorry to go the other positive trying to put really good fuel into a car but the filter in that car is completely blocked so there's no point you spend in extra money or resources or anything on putting the good stuff in it's not getting to where it needs to be yeah. is that is, is that the right way to think about it i'm no expert no, pretty much, no, because pretty much and it is it, it obviously it is about understanding how 
uh, that was a little bit different for me because I, I had a history of obviously you know being in in, in the doctor's surgeries and in hospitals and things like that not everybody will uh, need to go and have tests on the gut for example it, it, and not everybody has got another condition that's that's aligned with it and things like that however for this it's understanding how powerful the gut is and it's called the second brain it, it's equivalent of got all of the all of the receptors that the, the brain of a cat has and that's inside you in your gut and that basically controls everything so all of your hormones all of your uh, emotions all of your decisions, all of the clarity that you're wanting through a good night's sleep. You might have had a good night's sleep, but if your gut's shot like mine was, it's irrelevant. You're still going to be you're going to still going to be foggy and thinking, "What am I doing?" And Helen, let me ask you this, right? Because you've obviously spent a lot of time really understanding your body. Yeah, you understand yeah. Uh, your your body from the point of view of your endometriosis. I can never say it. How do I say it? endometriosis that one endometriosis oh jesus christ lauren um, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna let you say that word but you understand your body you understand your diagnosis you understood the stuff that you'd put in and out here's my question is that i'm someone who gets quite triggered about fad shit right and especially when it means that someone's trying to create a fad because it means that they can sell and sell you something how did you work out the difference between what your what what was needed? What information was relevant for you? What wasn't just you know a headline in a in a trashy magazine? How did you make sure that the stuff that you were getting from your nutritionist and from these this kind of uh, this learning that was you know it was it was led by your own condition? How did you make sure it was the real deal? Well, I controlled what I was consuming, and I don't mean what I was putting in my mind. Uh, sorry, what, what I was putting in my mouth. I mean what I was consuming in terms of who I was listening to. Mm-hmm. I paid for the best surgeon basically and the, the the best the best doctors in in london and i paid for the best nutritionist in london but what, how, paid, how when you say the best what was your measure of them being the best because sometimes things can be really expensive and not be the best no i've done all my research but i i've been trying to uncover this for years don't forget years and just this and just this uh, getting to the end of obviously all of my stuff and, and pinpointing all of that that you know that that's just my journey but I have changed people's um, energy levels in themselves just by them following this and cutting the things out that they that doesn't agree with their gut yeah. and understanding what it does to them in their gut. So it without them going and and you know researching all the best surgeons and the nutritionists, you don't have to necessarily go to that. Um, degree Mm. but if you want to understand your body and you want to really harness and nurture your health then take it to the next level of understanding scientifically and biologically what happens in there oh it's fascinating I mean I I, I've read a few books myself on uh, gut health and uh, digestive health and I remember reading a book all about poo which almost made it on (laughs) but it's, it's funny because we all know that um, saying, you know, trust your gut, follow your gut. And you talk about oh. there in terms of it's, you know, brain. neck and brain. But, you know, how many of our ancestors knew that years ago and that what your gut's telling you, you know when something's good, you know when it's off, you know when you're needing to not go somewhere, not be not be around a certain, but that following your gut is massive. This is, this is not a bash, by the way, at the uh, at, at, at pharmaceuticals and doctors and things like that. But I categorically avoid taking tablets now at any cost, even paracetamols. You know that. Yeah, I'm similar. Um, I'll be honest, I'm similar. I don't, I don't 
I don't because it, unless it's absolutely necessary and prescribed by a, med- a medical professional. Yeah, like I, I am just so against that. Or like when I had another operation last year, I had everything in my power to uh, build my gut health straight after it because obviously you've got all the intravenous, you've got the all the stuff that they knock you out with, and you've got all of that. Mm. And I'm like, this is gonna, this is gonna destroy all of my good bacteria, and I'm not having it. So I was there straight away with everything in my power. All, all of the all of the um, kombucha and the and the kefir and everything that I'm just throwing down my neck and I literally I was fighting fit in a week after, after coming out of the hospital and but it's all down to this definitely so good in okay last one from me then and this is it's an interesting one to finish on shall we say the book is called the top five regrets of the dying and it's written by the author Bronnie Ware so I can't remember who recommended it. Say that again, the top <laughs> the top five regrets of the dying now, okay I know that might sound a bit like Jesus that's a bit of a heavy one to finish on I actually think this was one that I heard about listening to a podcast and someone had said you know this book made a real impact on them. Um, And to keep it really simple, this lady, Bronnie Ware, had spent 30 years of her life and her career caring for people as they came to the end of the life. And that's what she, again, wasn't something that she intended to go into. You know, she's like, I want to spend my time with people on their final hours and on their deathbed. But she, um, she kind of got the opportunity to do it once or twice. And then she kept being asked to go back by um, families and and different communities because she was just so the right person for it. But what she did at the end of this 30 years was she wrote a blog post about the five things that stuck out to her that everybody had the most common thread throughout the conversation she had in their final days and weeks and months of their life. And this blog post went viral, like it it was just huge. And from there, she got a book deal. And this is the book that comes from it. So I'll just tell you the five top regrets that come up. And I think it's something for me that it really stuck with me because I, I, I don't think anyone can hear these five regrets and not at some point go, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think it, for me, it gave me perspective. Um, again, it came at probably at a point in my life, it was probably about maybe two years ago. I was just coming to that point where I'd made quite a few changes uh, personally. And I was just getting comfortable in the fact that the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years ahead of me were probably going to be the ones that really set the tone for the rest of my life. And not to sound dramatic, but, you know, I was probably early 30s and I'd had my teenage years and my early 20s. I'd had my first, you know, step into entrepreneurial life and then step back out of it again into the corporate world. Um, I'd had some relationships that had gone well, some that had gone not so well. uh, And I'd met, you know, my now husband. So I had kind of that point in my life where I was like the next probably few years ahead of me. It's not that they, they determine everything, but some of the decisions I make now will have a really big impact on you know my adult life so I'll run through them quickly the top five regrets of the dying number one I wish I'd had the courage to live to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me number two I wish I hadn't worked so much number three I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings number four I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends and number five I wish I had let myself be happier so they're pretty poignant 
but they're also pretty simple, right? Like I wish I'd lived the life that was true to me and not true to other people. And I think that's something that I at times had fallen into. And I was like, you know, this is what's expected of me in my family or my culture or, you know, of the environment that I've placed myself in. The one that I, you know, I remember reading it and thinking, oh, I'm so lucky because I feel like I'd, I'd, I'd already made this commitment to myself in my 20s, towards the end of my 20s, was I wish I'd spent more time with my friends. So for about eight, nine years, when I was living outside of Manchester, I really missed my closest friendship group. Uh, I'm lucky that I have two or three people who I've grown up with, you know, one of them being, um, she's actually my first cousin, but she's more like my sister. We're only born six weeks apart, but we're also best friends. So we grew up together from like, we went to primary school, secondary school, college, we did our part-time jobs together. I don't just love her because she's related to me. Like, I really like her. If I met her, I'm like, I want to be your mate because I think you're awesome. So like, I really missed her in particular. And then some other great friends come through my childhood. You know, you know, you know the way you do, you build a friendship group and you tag on people at each kind of like point in life. But I remember someone saying it to me, you know, especially as a female, you know, when you get into relationships, or you get into your career, or then if people have a family and your friendships slip away. And I'd seen that happen to some women, like who were, you know, examples for me, you know, who were years ahead in their life. And I remember thinking, oh God, I hope I never don't have my friends that I mean the most that mean the most to me and also new friends that come into me so that was one that really resonated because I think people get to the end of their their life and they look back and they go you know I had this person who was really important to me and who I loved and who I cherished spending time with had fun with like for me I'm like this is we're recording this in lockdown obviously I miss my family a lot but I miss busting my shit laughing with my friends so much and I know we can do loads on zoom and facetime but you know those things are like you know you go for breakfast and you're having a coffee and something funny happens and you just look at each other and you all just start laughing because you just know that that's the stuff that's going to tickle you like I I really miss my friends at the moment and it's one of the things that I'm I'd made a commitment to is that you know making sure that you maintain friendships and again I had it said to me I was lucky enough when we got married last year, you know, my friends threw me this wonderful hem weekend and there was like 20, 25 women all in this big house uh, in the middle of the countryside. And uh, someone said to me, God, aren't you lucky, you know, to have this many great friends and people around you? And, you know, I accepted it as a lovely compliment that was meant well-intentioned. But what I actually thought was, this is nothing to do with luck. This yeah. is absolutely intentionally the case. Because, you that happen. because I've spent time with my friends I yeah. invested time they've given me time you don't just show up for the you know the weddings the hem parties the big birthdays you know what you show up on the Tuesday evening when you know I didn't want to really get dressed and go out but I did you know you remember people's good times their sad times you know you show up for not just the like I say, the celebrations, but you show up when someone needs a cuddle or when they've had a breakup or when they've, you know, they didn't get that job that they wanted or, you know, that they're, they're just going through a tough time. So yeah. for me, I was, that when I, I met, there was loads of stuff in the book, but that one stuck out for me is that when you get to the end of your days, what are you going to be glad that you did? Like, and there's one in there that said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And the chapter, you know, it's it goes through it in much better detail than I can, I can give it justice to in a couple of minutes. But work hard at your passion work really hard at something that lights you up and that drives you and that you know whether that be something tiny or something monumental it doesn't matter what it is to other people it's what it is to you you know making time you know for 
the stuff that really, you know, that gets you fire and gets you going. So, yeah, the five top regrets of the dying. It's interesting because obviously we're at a point now in the world where, you know, everybody's been panicked and everyone's had a lot of fear around them. And uh, I, for one, tell anyone who listen, don't read too much of the media, don't listen to too much crap in the press. Um, not because it's not needed, but because it often isn't going to help you. It's, it's putting you into a fear state and it's going to paralyze you. But what it is doing is it's making everybody realize none of us are immortal. Like if it's one thing that's guaranteed for everybody is we are all going to die. And I think if you accept that, and then work backwards from there. So again, random connection here to the lean startup and the the you know the vision. What's your minimum viable product? You know, what's your runway? How are you going to pivot? Okay, let's go. My runway in this life, I don't fucking know. Like, I do not know whether you know today is my last day on earth or I've got another 40, 50 years ahead of me. You know, please God, that would be the case. But understand that you've got a runway. Understand that what's the minimum viable product you want from your life. So what are the minimum you want in your relationships? What's the minimum that you want in your productivity, in your career, in what you create? You know, what's your legacy? You know, what are you leaving behind? And some people think a legacy is a house that you're going to leave to someone or that your legacy is going to be, you know, a trust fund or, you know, like 100 grand out in a bank account. That might be your legacy. But is your legacy love or kindness or memories or feelings or any of those things? So it's interesting how... I know, you know, Lean Startup business book, <laughs> you know, The Five Regrets of the Dying, not a business book. But for me, there's a lot of things that... Everything interlinked. Uh, absolutely everything interlinked. You've just said that and you've just rounded your three up there in terms of how then you can you can put that into perspective over life in general. Add the three then that I've put into the mix today of obviously don't have the regrets because you're living in the now and the fact of, you know, you need to be looking after yourself through respecting and valuing and elevating and nurturing your health, mm. which is why it's so important to me because I know how it feels to have not so good health. Yeah. And, you know, and how how that impacts you. And then the slight edge comes into all aspects of it of, you know, do the right things consistently every single day. And then you will get to that position of, of growing and nurturing and progressing. So then you're not on your deathbed thinking, well, that was shit. I hadn't done what I wanted to do. You, you've done it all, haven't you? You know? I just that's that now. We're ending on our deathbed. <laughs> well, that's his, end, that's his end point for everyone, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But I think you're dead right in what you said there, Helen. So much of it's connected. And it's interesting that the books between this chat and the chat we had, you know, last week, like I think anyone who's listening to us, hopefully we haven't, uh, you know, waffled to the point of silliness. But I think that's the thing I love about a good book is that, you know, you can chat about it. It can question your ideas. It can make you think differently. It can challenge some of the maybe the, you know, the stuff that's been in your head for a while that maybe, you know, you need someone else to shine a light on it to maybe properly see, yeah, to properly see what, you know, what it is that, you know, you want to look at and we want to focus at. So Listen, me and you could keep reading books and keep talking about them, I think, for a week and a month and a, a year ahead. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for giving us your ears uh, for this time. As always, we would love to hear from you and we would love your feedback. You can find us on all of our socials. We live heavily on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And of course, the Helping Entrepreneurs Win website as well. Reviews mean the world to us. Uh, and we do say jokingly only if they're good. <laughs> but no, seriously, we do review and reviews. 
use. Uh, as the Lean Startup says, we want to listen to the customer uh, or the listener, and we want to, you know, we want to know, and then we want to be able to pivot and change and uh, give you guys what it is that interests you and that adds value as well. So uh, reviews on iTunes, uh, Spotify, all of those places would be great. I hope everybody's well at this time, and you may be listening a year from now, and this pandemic is a distant memory, and we're all all living without social distancing anything else from you miss williams uh just final note is as always thank you thank you for your time thank you for listening and making this podcast and everything that hew is about uh, possible we always endeavor to to grow and give you more and keep consistent with everything that we're doing don't just listen Take everything that we share with you, engage with you on online, through the podcast, and even through these books. If you go away and start purchasing these books online or in the tangible format, don't just consume it, freaking apply it, because knowledge is nothing unless you are doing the do. So internalize it, personalize it, and go out there and apply all of the knowledge that you are soaking up like that beautiful little sponge. That's it from me. Brilliant. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to the HEW podcast. For continued support, please subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star review on your download platform. Tune in for more value and more content the same time next week.